So I just wanted to start as we, as we begin this term and as we get going again, I just wanted to uh, look at the, uh, the subject of prayer. And particularly, I wanted to look at this um, aspect of our devotional life. Um, prayer is such a big thing, isn't it? There's so many different types of prayer, corporate prayer, prayer intercessory prayer. There's so many different ways we can pray. Um, but I really just wanted to, in this little series, just focus and hone in on um, our devotional life, our personal prayer life, our time with Jesus. Um, and what we're going to be doing... I'm going to be following, uh, um, I, I use this excellent book, if anyone's read it, anyone heard of Pete Gregg? He's, he's head of this 24-7 prayer movement, and uh, just an awesome guy who's pioneered so many amazing things in prayer around the world. And he read this book, which I used as a bit of a basis for how we're going to structure this series. And um, I love the subtitle of this book, um, uh, a, a, a Simple Guide for Normal People, How to Pray. So I don't know what normal is these days, but yeah, uh, ordinary, you know. So this is, this is I, I love the way he disarms things like that and makes prayer something that everyone can get involved with. And he breaks prayer down, as, as if you've been in church circles at any time, um, we love using acronyms, don't we? So he's got an acronym for how you can structure your prayer life, which is PRAY. And that stands for P's pause, R's for rejoice, A is for ask, and uh, Y is for yield. So today I'm going to do an introductory message that's just basically setting out about like the importance of prayer for our lives. And then the following weeks we're going to just take our, our steps through that. So for pause, I'll do next week. And um, we don't actually have a worship team, so next week, so I, we will actually be doing pause. <laughs> we will be doing live, waiting on the Holy Spirit, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what God does, you know, because we don't, you know, this, we're worshippers, even if we don't have musicians playing. We are worshippers. That's who we are as people. And then the following week, I've got James uh, Batty, who's a uh, pastor down at, at Capitol Vineyard in Wellington. He's going to speak about Rejoice. And then the following week after that, um, I've got Glenn France, who many of you guys know. He's coming to speak on yield. Um, so we're going to finish off the series like that. So I'm really looking forward to this. I think we're going to get so much out of this. And I just think this is such an important part of our lives. So prayer. Probably that word conjures up some interesting thoughts in your mind. Um, maybe you imagine... Uh, a couple of old ladies with some styrofoam coffee cups in a, in a corner uh, praying, or maybe you um, think about the quiet time that many of us have been told to do, but we're not quite sure how to do. Um, it, it can have lots of different meanings, and I think it's I, in my own experiences and from talking to people and, 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 and looking across the church, I think it is something we really struggle with, eh? If we're honest with ourselves, many of us find prayer boring, especially our personal prayer, that we, we find it frustrating, that we find it, um, man, this is hard. And uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but maybe you have had experiences like this in church where you are powerfully touched by the power of God, like the love of God just touched, melts your heart. You know, you might be in worship. You might get ministered to by someone prays for you or says a prophetic word that just unlocks your heart and it's like, oh, this is the Father's heart for me. Or you, um, you're at a conference or something and you, you have all the feels. 
You feel great, don't you? You're like, man, this is what it's all about. This is what life is all about. This is that wonderful Savior Jesus. And then has anyone else had that experience where you think, right, I'm really going to get on to my prayer life now. I want to be with Jesus. I'm going to do this. So, so I, I imagine a lot of people do this. They, they set their alarm for some ungodly hour, like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., and the alarm goes off, and they're like, you know, like it's, it's like you're, you're sort of like, God, God, why have you forsaken me? You've sort of woken up in this kind of like, and you, and you hit your, your watch or your phone, and you press snooze about three times, and then you're like, oh, I better get up. And then if you're like me and you're not super organized, you'll, you'll get up and you'll be stumbling around in the dark, trying not to wake everyone up, trying to find your dressing gown and your, your, your Bible and your journal or whatever you got. And then you'll kind of just stumble out into the lounge and you're like, oh man, because it's so early in the morning, I need a coffee. So you'll, you'll go and you'll flick the jug on and because and you've just got limited um, brain capacity at that time of the morning, you will make like the worst instant coffee ever, eh? And it'll just be like this awful thing that you're just like, I need this caffeine, like get it down me sort of thing. And you'll just go find like a little chair or sit on your couch and you'll sit there and then you'll be like, man, where have those feelings gone? You'll just be like, I'm just alone in a room, and you're like, you'll be like, God, are you there? Like, I, I don't know if anyone else has had this experience where you just think, am I just talking to the sky? Is, is, is this real? Like, what happened to that experience I had on Sunday when I was in the worship, and I could feel God's presence and His love? He was so real, so tangible, and now it's just nothing, and you're just alone in the room with your Bible out, probably in Leviticus or something, and you're like, this is really dry, and you don't know what to do. So, so what most people do, I suspect, is they just start rattling off a list of, of requests to God, like a kind of a shopping list, sort of like kind of shopping list to like that God's like a Santa in the sky. I know that's a crude way to sort of put it, but that's how I think we sort of like, oh, oh Lord, um, yeah, so, you know, um, here I am, and uh, yeah, Thanks for this morning and this terrible coffee. Um, uh, yeah, can you, yeah, Lord, just, just bless my life. Um, can you bless my wife? Um, bless my kids, um, my cat, my dog, my guinea pig, and, and the neighbours. And, and then you're like, oh, heck, I've got, to, I've got to think of some other things to pray for. What else? Oh, yeah, I've got that really annoying work colleague at work. Um, could you make them move to Gore or something? <laughs> And then you sort of think, and then you start just going through, oh, I'm praying for my grandparents, and then, um, oh, we've got this event on Sunday, so could we have a really good sunny day? That would be really great. And so you get to the end of all these requests, and there's actually nothing wrong with asking God for things, is there? There's nothing wrong with making requests, but what I've, I find is if we start with that, if we start with that heart frame, and then we just go through that, then eventually we sort of just think, Oh, okay, well, that's sort of done. And then we try and read a bit of the Bible, and it feels a bit dry. And if you're really disciplined, you will try and keep that up. You'll go morning after morning, but maybe you make it a few days, maybe you make it a few weeks, maybe you make it a few months, but it becomes a religious duty to you, and it becomes dry, and then you think, I've failed. And then you feel guilt. I don't know how many people I've met in church who feel guilt about their prayer lives. Like that they, they, I think they have a vision of what this prayer life should be, and probably a lot of it unrealistic, like 4 a.m. in the morning, like John Wesley. John Wesley, 
lived in the 17th century, so he went to bed at about 6 o'clock as well. So we, we have to be realistic with ourselves here, guys. Um, and they feel this, this sense of like, man, I'm not, living, I'm not living this vision of this prayer life that I want. And they feel this guilt, and, and they feel like they're disappointing God. And, they f- and so what they do, like with all kind of things where we feel bad about ourselves, we withdraw, don't we? It's the natural thing is to withdraw and stop. And then what happens is in the life of most Christians is that they pray sporadically at best. So they're praying for that car park or there's an emergency going on and then they really pray um, and then they go back off the, off the wagon and then they lose that rhythm of prayer and time with Jesus. And I want to suggest that this morning, um, I'm just going to suggest some stuff that I think is, is, is a barrier or a hurdle around the way we approach prayer. And then I just want to kind of go through a bit of stuff about practicality, about some, some stuff that it can actually really help us from my own experience and stuff I've read, and then and sort of give us some, like, a framework about how to, how to actually do this thing. So I, I think that one of the, one of the bigger issues with, with prayer is our view of God. Just in your mind's eye now, why don't you just sort of picture God what does he look like to you? What does God look like to you? This is God the Father. What does he look like? I imagine for some people in the world and for, unfortunately, a lot of Christians, I think some people think God is like this. That's Zeus, by the way. And Zeus there is famous for sending thunderbolts down on the earth and and being cruel to humanity, and, you know, he's this powerful God who, who rules over humanity. He's not kind or compassionate. He's, he's judgmental, and he's self-centered, basically, like all those sort of gods in that kind of pantheon of gods that the Greeks and the Romans had. So he's this powerful, powerful um, sort of God, and I, I, I think there's a lot of Christians that they have picked up somewhere along the way this kind of view of God that he's like this powerful Zeus-like character that's ready to strike you down with a thunderbolt. Or, maybe you think of God as some old man sitting on a throne. Kind of a nice guy, but kind of distant, you know? Like he's sort of away. He's up there in the clouds. He's not near. And so he's not as as this kind of judgmental Zeus-like God, but he's, he's kind, of, kind of maybe indifferent or kind of distant from us, yeah? Or, and this is becoming more and more common in our society, even though people are giving up faith, they still have a spirituality. Maybe you see God as a spiritual force, like an impersonal spiritual force that's out there in the galaxy, that, you know, makes everything work together, but it's not a person. You can't encounter it in a personal way. It's just a force that we might use or interact with. Or do you see God as the Father? This is from a cover of a book by a guy called Brian Zahn, and it's uh, actually called... um, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. And it was a bit of a take off an old sermon, very Puritan sermon in, in the 17th century, which was Sinners in the Hands of a, of a you know, vengeful 
God sort of thing, and he's, he's, he's bringing this motif of, this picture of God as, as the prodigal son's father, because that's who God is. That's the way he revealed himself to us in that wonderful story. Recently, um, Amy and I have been binging Downton Abbey, <laughs> uh, and I was reflecting on this and reflecting on my own views of God, and I think, like myself and maybe many of you, I, I sometimes think we're a bit like the servants on Downton Abbey. If you've watched the show, the servants serve this family, this guy's called Lord Grantham, and they, they, they put out the plates for him, they take away, you know, all the dirty stuff, and they clean stuff, and they basically pamper them and dress them, and all these things, and, um, you know, they kind of, the whole time that's, they're using all these polite terms like, yes, my lord, you know, and then, you know, like, so it's all this pompous sort of um, pageantry, sort of having to bow down, you know, towards this lord, and, and kind of be really nice to them, even though some of the characters who are servants are just doing it to survive, like, they're not really enjoying what they're doing. They, they need to make a living. And I, I think sometimes we come to our time with God with that same kind of attitude, eh? Like, we've got to serve God, that it's a duty. That, that, that it's like he's Lord Grantham. And yes, God is, is awesome and wonderful and powerful. He's the king of the universe. I get that, and we don't want to be kind of flippant about that. But Jesus said to his disciples... No longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. When he talked to Mary Magdalene after the resurrection, he said, go tell my brothers. He said, I'm going to, to my father, who's your father, to my God, who's your God. We've been adopted into the family of God so that we are children of God. And I, I, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and it's something I want to just unpack a little bit here this morning. In Luke's gospel, the disciples asked Jesus, one of the disciples actually asked Jesus to pray, and they say, he says, Lord, teach us to pray. And I, I love that he didn't say, Lord, teach us how to preach, or Lord, teach us how to sell books, or Lord, teach us how to run conferences, or Lord, <laughs> teach us how to put the coffee on. I don't know. He, they, they said there must have been something about the disciples living with Jesus for three years, watching him pray and live his life, that they're like, wow, look at that. This guy withdraws to be with the Father. He goes and prays all night sometimes. He's up early in the morning, and you don't have to get up early in the morning just because Jesus did. Uh, you might be a night owl. You might want to do it at night. You know, they observe Jesus living this lifestyle of prayer and communion with the Father, and they must have been like, man, we want some of that. Tell me about that. And so Jesus begins the, this famous prayer that most of us all know, the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke's and Matthew's gospel, we have a more detailed version of it. Um, but I just want to take out two little points this morning about that. I just want to say that the first thing that Jesus says to them in Luke's gospel, Father, and Matthew's gospel, our Father, what Jesus is saying to them is that is the way 
That is the relationship we have with God. He is Father. Now, I know that our earthly fathers haven't always been fantastic. Maybe your earthly father neglected you or abandoned you um, or worse, abused you. So I know that the word father or dad could be very triggering for you. But what I want to say to you and encourage you this morning is that Jesus is talking about God the Father because that is the relationship that he wants us to have. And God the Father, the Father's heart for us is so deep, so deep, and he is the perfect Father. He's not going to let you down. He is always there for you. He loves you lavishly. See, kids get this kind of relationship, eh? I um, don't often go away, but when I do, sometimes when I'm coming home, I'll be coming out of my car and I'll be going towards our house and the kids will come running out, Dad! And then I'll like kind of tackle you on the, like, the front lawn, so it's like got one kid on one leg, one another, and you almost fall over. It's absolutely fabulous for your ego. It's like, you know, you're like this mini celebrity, like, Dad! Dad! You know, like, like normally they just ignore you, but in that moment it's like, yeah, you're the best, Dad! Because they've just got this like kind of free access to you. They don't need to come to me and be like, yes, my lord, you know. Although that would be polite sometimes if they asked things. <laughs> but they come, they just, they, they, I'm their father. And they're like, oh, I just want to wrap my arms around you. You're back, you're here. The teenagers don't do it so much now. They just sort of like, you know, kind of, hey, dad, you're back. <laughs> it's the little ones are still in that moment where they're just like, dad, you're back. You know, and that is what Jesus is saying. This is, this is how we start, this is how we go into prayer. If you're going into your morning devotional time or whatever time of day you're spending with Jesus and you've got a framework that God is angry um, or upset with you, he's going to judge you, you got, that's not going to be a happy time with the Lord, is it? You're going to be in there kind of like, <laughs> yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Um, but if you go in there with a, 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 like a kind of like his father, like, this has revolutionized my prayer life, that he is happy to see me. Not only does he love me, he likes me, and he wants to spend time with me, even when I haven't been so good. <laughs> He's, it says in Zephaniah, he rejoices over us with singing. Like, I'm just sort of imagining it as I come to spend my time with the Lord. He's there like, yeah, you're here, Nick. Took you a while, but here you are. Awesome. So good to be here. Like, I, I enjoy you. You know, God the Father said when Jesus came out of the water, before Jesus had said anything or done anything in his ministry, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Not, this is my son in whom I am disappointed. That's the relationship that the Father has with his son. That is the relation he is inviting us into. And as I was preparing this message, and I think it's so interesting at the the words that were spoken earlier, I, I just had this real sense that people are struggling with that thought, I've disappointed God, and particularly around prayer. Like, you feel like, man, I, I suck at this. I, I, I just can't do this. And you just feel this guilt, and it's this building, and you're just like, man, I can't get it together. But it's not about doing things. It's about being with Jesus. And, and I just felt like the Father's heart is just to, 
It's just like, welcome home, I'm here. And we, we read the prodigal son, and we think we always think about those kind of like extreme situations where you're, you're bankrupt, and you're living on the streets, and you're severely addicted to drugs, and yeah, it, it kind of covers that kind of territory as well. It also covers when you haven't prayed for a couple of weeks on time, and you just feel guilty and ashamed. You don't, you're like, here I am, God, sort of, and he's that father as you're coming home, you know, running out to be wrapping his arms around you. You're here. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. He's not angry with you. He's not disappointed with you. I know it's so hard for our our hearts and our brains to get that together, but he is happy. He rejoices over you. And I I just think, as a first thing I just want to say this morning, is that if you take that framework into your time with the Lord, it will revolutionize and transform your whole time with God. That the Father loves you. He's always loved you, and he always will love you. And it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. The second thing I just wanted to take out of there was Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, who is in heaven. Now, this can be a bit misleading for us um, in the way we read it. It it, it can actually mean like the heavens, um, who is in the heavens, and, and uh, you kind of almost need to think about it in the sense of realms, like spiritual dimensions. You know, in Back to the Future, where um, Doc's talking to Marty, and he, and he can't get how this thing's going to work when he flies over this bridge, and he's like, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally, Marty, you know, because yeah. he can't see that when he goes across this bridge and hits 88 miles per hour, that magically the time machine will, will go through this thing, and he'll be spat out in 1985 because of this fourth dimension. Well, it's the same way with the heavenly realm. See, when we think about heaven, we think about a place up in the clouds or something, like far, far away. And I think it goes with that motive we have about this distant God too. But the actual Greek words that are there for around heaven talks about, actually one of the ways you can understand it is talking about the ear. So if you're reading that, you can almost read it in that way, kind of like our Father who is in the air that we breathe, that the air that is around us, it's in our lungs right now. That's how close this Father is. Not only is He a loving Father, but He is a close Father. He's not distant. He's not indifferent. He's not away busy doing work or other more important things in the world. He's present with you right now in this moment. And when you wake up tomorrow morning and you don't feel the feels or whenever it is, he is present to you, just like the very air that's in your lungs or surrounding your body. So I've found those two things have really revolutionized my time with the Lord. And I just wanted to just move now to just talking about what is the point or the purpose of prayer? Now, a lot of us are Christians and we've, we've, we've invited Jesus into our heart and we've had amazing experiences, but I think sometimes we have this feeling in church and in life, what do I do with the rest of my life and do I just wait until I die and then I'll go to eternity? Like, yes, that's part of it and that's wonderful news, but actually when you become a Christian, it was God meets you where you are but he wants you to go on a journey. So you don't have to do anything to be saved other than open your heart and receive Jesus and confess that he's Lord. But 
it doesn't stop there. And unfortunately for so many Christians, they stay at that point where it's just like, I'm saved, but man, I'm hanging on for life. You know, oh, I'm not doing well. I'm scraping through in life. And, and, and you're, yeah, you're saved, but man, there's not a lot of grace or mercy or love operating in your life. And the point of prayer is actually to be with Jesus. It's to be with him. Because when we're with him, we are changed. Brian Zahn says this, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we ought, uh, what we ought to do, what we think he ought to do, but to be formed. It's to be shaped by God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, and we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, and we have been transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And the verse prior to that actually says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That word contemplate, in some versions, is behold. That's what contemplation is. It's to behold the glory of the Lord. When we come in to be in God's presence, that is the, the primary thing we're doing. We're coming to see Jesus, to behold him. The psalmist says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, one thing I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, to inquire or meditate in his temple to gaze upon his beauty. Like, this is the point. It's to gaze upon Jesus, to be in his presence. Because when we're in his presence, we change. We, we're with Jesus, and then we become more like Jesus, and then we actually go and do what he did. This is the, this is the call that Jesus is calling us into in this lifetime, to be with him to learn from him, to let him shape and mold us, and then to go and do what he did. I love this verse in Corinthians, um, the one on love, that always gets uh, trotted out at weddings and, and such and such. Um, it says, you know, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. Uh, what I like to do there sometimes with that verse is I like to put my name there. And if you want to do that now in your mind, just put your name there. So Nick is patient. Nick is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. Now, I can tell you, <laughs> because I, I'm trying to be as honest as I can, I fail at a lot of those things. So as I'm, as I'm reading that and, and thinking, I'm like, I know I'm not, I, I'm not all those things. But, but how do you become like that? Like, how do you become like that kind of person? It's being with Jesus. You know, like the, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about, and he's writing to a church in Galatia, which was a Spirit-filled church, and he's like, man, what's happened to you guys? Who has bewitched you? Like, why are you getting away from the gospel of Jesus Christ? And he says this thing to them. He says, I'm in anguish and like the pains of childbirth, um, there's probably a lot of women in the room saying, Paul, you don't really understand the pains of childbirth. But you know, think of the, the metaphor there, yeah, that, that word picture. He's like, I'm in anguish in childbirth that Christ would form in you. 
Like, this is the point of our lives that we are formed in the image of Jesus. And how do we get shaped and formed by Jesus and become more like him so that we can have love, joy, peace? It's by being with him. If you try and do that for your own strength, you know, you're going to grit your teeth and you're going to fail, aren't you? It, it, often. But if you do that through the power of the Spirit, walking hand in hand with the Spirit, spending time with God, He's going to shape you. He's going to change you. He's going to change your heart. He's going to shape and form you to be more like Him. And we, we look at that and we sort of think, oh, well, that's nice and all, um, but I'm, I'm really busy. But we forget that we are being shaped and formed every day. What do you think all those hours and hours of Netflix and social media do? What about you know, even worse things like pornography or other things that we're indulging in or, getting, or, or escaping into? We live in uh, formation machines, and technology has made that even worse so that you can't even go to bed like you've got your phone beside your bed and you're, you know, like getting all this you know, news feeds and all this stuff going through. That stuff is shaping and forming you. And yeah, it's fine to watch a TV show. I'm not saying that's wrong or anything like that. But if, if your primary discipleship making um, through the week is being with the world, you're going to become a disciple or an apprentice of the world, aren't you? But if you spend time with Jesus, it's actually counterformation. That's what spiritual practices are. It's like we're all being shaped and formed, but Jesus is like saying, come, abide in me, and I in you, and then you will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's saying, like, come, be with me. That's where it happens. That's the process of sanctification, that we become more like him, is in his presence when we behold him, when we contemplate on him. And I just want to just move to this final point as I come sort of into finish here this morning, is around consistency over intensity. I don't know if it's because um, we were kind of a charismatic stream and, um, and, and a lot of evangelical churches are like this too. Um, we have these kind of powerful experiences of God and they are good, eh? Amen. We want more of those. But the problem is, if you're trying to take what you have on a Sunday morning one time or a conference into your Monday morning or your Tuesday morning, you're not going to get the same fools all the time. You won't have Sarah there with the keyboard while you're having your prayer time, you know, like doing the mood music or something, you know. You're going to be like, oh, here I am, I'm mine. Oh, oh, how do I do this? And if, you ha- if you're looking for those experiences to, to kind of take you through and shape and guide you, it's not going to get you there. Greg Boyd said this, the fact is, if we can't discern God's presence in our day-to-day lives, it's unlikely that we will find him at a revival. We may find a lot of excitement, great speakers, superb music, and maybe even some signs and wonders. But unless a person learns to find God in as much in the ordinary as in the exciting, the exciting will do nothing more than serve as a momentary distraction. Isn't that so true? And so what people do is they go chasing experiences. And there's nothing wrong with that in a sense, but if that's all you've got, you're not really being shaped and formed in the image of God. You're just having these experiences maybe months apart or years apart. But what about if you were able to have a well of experience in your life with Jesus every day? 
It didn't take your whole day, but actually it's the time that you set aside where you're in his presence and you're becoming more like him. And our problem is, is that we, just like exercise, we, we think, okay, I'm going to start running, just like I'm going to start praying, and we try to do too much. So you have, have anyone had this experience as a, someone doing exercise? They're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put the running shoes on tomorrow, and I'm going to run 30 minutes or an hour or something. And then the 10 minutes down the road, you're like, ooh. Especially as I'm getting older, it's like that, you know. All oh, the knees hurt, and and then you just give up, you know. After a couple of days, you know, when you look at all the science of habit formation and routines and stuff, it's all about starting small, but being consistent. And consistency will beat intensity. If you spend 15 minutes a day with God, that's one percent of your day. But that one percent of your day could transform your whole life. And I'd even say if you really struggle with this thing, start even smaller, like five minutes or something like that, you know, really bring it down. Because what we're trying to do here is, is, is kind of the, almost like the architecture of romance. You know, these like, I'm ashamed to say I've seen this movie, and I actually even enjoyed it. I, I, I kind of like rom-coms, all right, yeah, judge me, yeah, it's all right. Um, but like a lot of romantic movies, what they focus in on often is that, that, that awesome moment, eh? Like when, they, when someone falls in love and it's all magical and amazing and stuff and it's all like, wow, so passionate and stuff. And maybe you guys have had this experience in your lives. And then, then, then in this book movie, they also focus in at the end. This lovely, beautiful, look at this beautiful couple there. He's reading to her because she's got dementia and stuff. And it's, it's this beautiful scene of relationship and connection. But what the film doesn't show, and most Hollywood films don't show, is all that time in between. Be- why? Because most of that's quite boring. It's ordinary life. It's getting up, having the coffee, and putting the washing out, and, you know, oh, can you put the rubbish bin out? You know, so it's, it's, it's really boring. No one's going to watch that movie, are they? And it's, oh, 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 they're getting, finally they're getting to that bit where they have to fight about the TV remote. Ooh, yeah. it, it's going to be long and it's going to be boring because it's made up a whole lot of ordinary, isn't it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He was standing, he's a famous theologian uh, in Germany. He died for his faith. He said this at a wedding. He said, he said to the couple, it's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains your love. So now our society has these kind of bought into these things, and I think as Christians we have too, that, that passion and love and all these sort of amazing feelings are what sustains us. But we know through reality and life that they will not sustain you. That faithfulness and commitment and consistency and turning up is what it's all about. And that's why he's talking about the relationship will sustain your marriage. If you, if you invest in your relationship, if you spend time together, you'll sustain your marriage. But if you don't spend time together, your marriage will struggle because you don't know each other. And this is, this is the heart of what we're doing when we're spending time with the Lord. We, we're getting to know each other. We, I'm listening to him and he's listening to me. Now, Amy and I sometimes... Um, one of our favorite things is, is actually when we go on a trip and we're, we're in the car and we don't even speak to each other and the kids are in the back and we've just got this moment of peace, you know, because busy with life and everything and it's like, I just love it because it's like all I've got to do is drive. 
Like, I've got no other responsibilities. I've just got to drive. And I can just steer at the road and my mind can wander. And, and, we just, and, and sometimes we'll just like look at each other and just sort of smile, do that kind of corny little... And we don't even need to use words. Like, there's an understanding that we're in this moment. Like, oh, this is good. Like, I'm enjoying this. Like, it, it's, it, it's, you know, like, we probably would have struggled with that when we first got married because we would have been like, oh, we've got to fill this with conversation. We've got to say something. And, yeah, we get heaps of talking to each other throughout the day as well. But there's something about that, about just being together and just being enjoying each other's presence, that relationship is just the way that God invites us into to be with him to hear his voice as he listens to us. Um, Pete Gregg says in in this book, he says, after decades of night and day prayer, I've come to believe that 99% of it is just showing up, making the effort to become consciously present to the God who is consciously present to us. Isn't that beautiful? But so practical. It's about showing up. It's, it's, It's a relationship. It's about doing the time with Jesus But I'm just going to finish on this. You're probably also wondering, like, how the heck do you do it? Because that's another thing I've had from my experience, and you might have, no one's kind of shown me how to pray. Like, I, I remember, um, you know, I grew up in church, going to youth group and all these sort of things, and, you know, sometimes people said things like, oh, I use this acronym called SOAP or something, or something. It's like scripture, something, application, petition or something, or acts, um, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I'm like, what's supplication? Like, like, but no one ever says, oh, and then they just say, oh, you've got to have a quiet time. But what's a quiet time? Do you just sit there and be quiet? Like, what does that mean? And how do you do this? Like, how do you do this thing? I have wrestled with this as a Christian and even as a pastor, mainly as I've been a pastor. Like, how do I pray? Because if I'm honest with myself, a lot of my prayers were a bit like those ones I joked about at the start. I found my prayers were sporadic and kind of just going through a list of wants and stuff. And then I'd just leave it feeling like, oh man, I didn't really pray that well. And when you're a pastor, that's like extra level guilt because you're like, man, I'm meant to be good at prayer. Like people are looking to me to, to, to carry this church in prayer and to be a man of prayer. And it's like, man, I can't even pray properly. Like I'm struggling with this thing. And so I had to find my prayer rhythm. And, and the thing that really helped me, and, and I believe it will help you, is, is finding your rhythm, finding a structure or routine that's going to give you life. Now, um, I'm an INFP on the Myers-Briggs, if anyone knows what that is. It means I do a lot of feeling through life. Structure and routine is not my jam. Like, whenever I have, like, schedules and things, I'm, like, organization, I struggle with that, and, and I need a lot of external kind of boundaries to help me with that. But I got to a point in my life where I was like, man, I've got to get this thing down. I've got to, I've got to get a routine, a rhythm in my life of, of life-giving time with Jesus. And so I found a rhythm. I found a way that helped me be with Jesus. And I'm going to unpack a little bit of that next week, a practice that has been just, just foundational to me, that, that is, is silence. Um, but I'll, I'm just going to go through a little bit of my routine. You don't have to copy it. I'm just giving you a bit of like, this is a rhythm that I've found and then I'm just going to suggest some other things, and then, and then we're going to close and worship. So what I do now um, is I, I set my alarm. I do get up in the morning, even though I'm not a really good morning person. I've sort of trained myself to do it. So my alarm get, goes off, and I actually do get up after the snooze button goes again. And I stumble out into the lounge, 
my dressing gown, my coffee. Um, but what I do now, instead of going into that shopping list of prayers, is that I actually start, because I'm a real feeler and thinker, I actually start by um, telling God what's going on inside me. Uh, a, a wonderful description of prayer I heard is that prayer is lifting heart and mind to God. So I actually just name my feelings and my thoughts. So if I'm bored, I say, Lord, I'm bored. <laughs> uh, if I, I want to go look at Facebook or I want to do something else, I'll be like, oh, Lord, I, I really want to go look at the news or Facebook or something. I'll just be honest with you, God, I'm struggling with this. If I'm tired, if I'm hungry, whatever it is that's going on in your mind, whatever it is, because we have all sorts of things going on in our mind, I just tell God that. I'm just brutally honest with God. Sometimes I write it down. Sometimes I verbalize it to God. And I just, I just give it to God and I say, here, Lord, Here's all the stuff that's in my heart and mind at the moment. I give it to you. I put it in your hands because I want to spend some time with you now. And then I, I spend, um, I, I have a little timer on my watch. I've actually had to get hardcore about this because I'm a super distracted cat. Like, I, I actually put my phone to bed at night now. Like, so at like 9 o'clock I put it into a drawer. And I don't turn it on until after, like, my period of time and breakfast and stuff. Because I just know I'm not strong enough. That if I try to use my phone as a timer or an alarm, I'll just be like, oh, I'll just check that thing. And, Ooh, oh, look at that. Ooh, interesting. And then next thing you know, that, that demon algorithm's got me, and it's like, wee, watching videos. And I was like, ah, I've just wasted another hour. <laughs> Sorry, look, here I am. So I've had to get, like, brutal with that sort of stuff because I just know the way I'm wired. And maybe you need to do that too. But I just set the timer, and I, I spend about 10 minutes in God's presence and, I'll, and, and just being silent and, and, and just beholding him, contemplating his glory. And I'll speak a bit more about that next week. And then the other thing that's been foundational to me is actually I've actually started praying through these, like, prayer booklets, um, which actually have, like, a whole lot of ancient prayers in them. And so there's a kind of, a, I have, a, like, a mixture of ancient prayers, um, some scripture that I pray out loud, I, uh, and I have, like, sort of times of, um, like, there's also the um, flexibility in there as well, so I allow Holy Spirit to speak to me. And then when I get to the end of that, I actually, um, I have a time where I just yield myself and wait on Holy Spirit. And, and I just say, like, I believe, God, you're going to share something with me this morning from your heart, a picture, an image, a verse, and I, I write that out in my journal and stuff. And then I just usually just kind of pray, Lord, I finish and I just say, Lord, help me to be present to you throughout this day. Help me to be present to my, my neighbor, including my family, as I go out throughout this day and help me to find your presence in this day. And then another thing that has been just foundational to me is, is I actually... I've broken out of just being in that morning time. You know how we've got this thing, oh, you've got to have one time a day? So I, I actually want to have God in all my life. So what I do is I actually set an alarm. You actually probably heard it before uh, when I was preaching. At 12 o'clock, I actually I have my alarm go off on my phone. And if I'm on my own, I just pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, the beauty of the Lord's Prayer and, and the way that Jesus gave it to us, you can actually say it in about 30 seconds. Um, anyone who's been to Boys High knows how to say it. <laughs> Uh, is, is you can actually just rattle it through really quickly and you can do it in your mind if you're around other people because you don't want to be that weirdo in the office um, or you, if you're on your own or out in, at lunchtime you can, just, you can just pray through it or you can actually extend it out so what you can do is you can just go our father and then you just meditate on those words and you're like thank you God that you're my father that, that you love me that, that you're, you, you did this for me that I'm here because of you you know, who art in heaven, Lord, thank you that you're in the very air that I breathe. 
you're in this very moment here at my office after I'm upset with Karen who did something to the letter, you know, the, the photocopier or something. I don't know. Yeah, sorry if there's any Karens here. Um, I'm just trying to use a generic name. Uh, you know, this, you know, like you can work your way through it and you can make that, you can stretch that thing out and you can, you can just cover this whole intercession and meditation that you're having with the Lord right on your lunch break. And then I have a thing at um, night time because I kind of have this thing, I really want to start the day with the Lord, spend time with the day in the day, and then I also want to end the day with the Lord, not with my phone, I do this prayer of examine. It's just an ancient prayer, and it basically what it is, is I review my day. And I, and, and I ask myself a series of questions. I'm just lying in bed, and I just sort of go through my day. I, I mentally go through the whole day, and then I ask God, one of the questions I ask God, you know, like, where were you in my day, Lord? Where was your presence, your joy in my day? And I actually just look at those moments and think about them. And then I rejoice and give thanks to God for those times of encounter with him. And then I sort of sometimes look at, you know, where did I struggle in the day? Where were my attitudes, my thoughts, um, things that were not of your, your way, Jesus? And, and, and I just let God bring those up. And then I just freely confess them and receive his grace. And then I pray into the next day, and I'm like, Lord, I, 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 I rejoice, and I, I look forward to tomorrow. Um, help me to be more like you, Jesus. Help me to follow your way tomorrow. And I've just found having that structure in my life has just been so life-giving. And so what I would say to you today is you don't have to do all that. I, I, I'm just giving you an example of how I structure my day. But get a structure. Be intentional. Even if it's just five minutes every morning or at lunchtime, if you, if you really struggle with prayer, maybe just commit this week, like, man, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer once a day. I'm just going to do it once a day, and I'm going to keep going. And you might add to it later, you might change it, but just consistently do that every day. Because you will do better than the person who tries to do the two-hour prayer marathon and gives after two, two days. You'll be still going in six months' time or a year two years. Imagine what your life would be like if you prayed that prayer over your life every day. It's the perfect prayer. You might want to um, sort of up the ante a bit and you might want to sort of have some other intentional times in your day. Um, some things that have been really helpful sometimes, some people, you know, you've got to know your learning style. Some people like to read, some people like audio, they like to hear things. Um, um, so, these two apps, um, one, um, Lectio 365, is actually by Pete Gregg. Um, these are all free, these apps. And this, this guy has prepared for you uh, a morning prayer, and he's done an evening one as well. So the evening one's a bit like an exam. He does like an exam in there where you kind of review your day. And the morning one, just does, um, they read a bit of scripture, and you just, he does a, like a reflection. And it's, he's got this really awesome, you know, lovely English voice. It sort of sounds very soothing as you're listening away to it sort of thing. It's, and it's got this beautiful mu- ambient sort of music in the background. And then this other one I, I really quite like is this one called Pray As You Go. It's a, it's a Catholic one, um, but don't be put off by that. It's actually really beautiful. It starts with all these bells ringing and stuff, and then they have this choirs singing, and then they go through a bit of scripture. Like they, 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 and then they ask a couple of questions about, you know, what, what are you, where are you in this Jesus and things like that. And it's actually really simple. These are all very short, like they're kind of five, ten-minute kind of bizzos. So anyone can do this in their day. And lastly, if you wanted to take it up a, another notch or another click, um, I'm actually, we're going to actually have a um, 
we're actually going to um, putting together a prayer booklet for, for church, for Kurimako. So it's got to have um, pictures that have been put together by um, some of the teenage girls in the, in the church, and there's also a whole lot of these prayers that have been put together, um, which is a, a little bit of like what I use, um, and it's just a structure which is going to use that pause, um, um, sorry, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield, and then it's got a whole lot of other prayers that are kind of blended in there. So if you, if you want something really structured that you can just follow and get into like that, we're going to have that available for people to print out on our website or give out copies. So that will be next week, hopefully. And then lastly, um, final thing, sorry I've gone a bit long this morning, is um, I'm actually going to um, host the prayer course by Pete Gregg. It's an eight-week prayer course that goes through a whole lot of different types of prayer like everything you can imagine, like speaking tongues and prophecy and intercession and all that kind of stuff, like everything, contemplation, how to silence, that sort of thing. And so that's going to be at my house on the 12th of May at uh, 7 p.m., um, when that's going to run for eight weeks every Wednesday. So I'll put the deets up on our Facebook internal page, and you can, uh, with a registration, if you want to sign up for that, um, just encourage you. If you just really want to get your head around prayer, um, lot, all the different types of prayer there are, um, that'd be a fabulous course to go on, and it's all, yeah, awesome. Okay. Why don't we stand?